We welcome you here today. The Passion Narrative is as good as we could do uh, on short notice with coronavirus and, and limitations of how many people we could get around. So hopefully you're able to follow along with us. Um, that narrative w- which began outside with Liturgy of the Palms and across the Kidron Valley and into the Messiah Gate of Jerusalem was the Liturgy of the Palms. And it should be shocking because we usher Jesus into Jerusalem through the gates of the church, through the doors of the church, with Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And what's shocking is no sooner did we do that than Pilate asked the crowd, whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus, Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? It was his custom to be able to release one of the prisoners And he says, which one shall it be? And the crowd says, release for us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. It should cause a chill to go down your spine. It should be shocking, unsettling, that we would let the Prince of Peace go to the death of the grave. But the man who was a prisoner, in prison for what he had done, we released on that day. What shall we do? Pilate said, he's done no evil. And the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him. This chills me every year just to read that. It makes my mind swirl. How could this be? It's so unsettling. It's so unsettling. In one of the uh, great hymns of the church, my song is love unknown. The words say this, the murderer they save, the prince of life they slay. But why? What was going on that day? What were they thinking? Well, here's the deal. There are, in fact, two trials going on, one with Jesus and Barabbas, but the other person on trial that day is you and me. It's the human heart, the human condition. It was the human condition that was on trial. There are some important details in order to understand that, though. Here's why they chose Barabbas. Barabbas, all right, his name Bar, the first part, means son of. The second part is Abba, which means father. So his name was son of the father, but we're told today also from the gospel that he was Jesus bar Abba, Jesus Barabbas. Interesting. Jesus is Yeshua in Hebrew. Jesus means deliverer. Jesus means savior. Jesus means one who comes to save his people and to rescue them. So on the one hand, you've got Jesus Barabbas, and on the other hand, you've got Jesus, son of Joseph, Jesus, bar Joseph. And it was us, our human hearts on trial, that said, crucify Jesus, bar Joseph, crucify him. What Pilate is in essence asking is, crowd, which Jesus shall you choose? Which Jesus will deliver you? Which Jesus is the one come to save you? Which Jesus will defeat your oppressors? Which Jesus do you choose? Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Why is that the case? Well, who was Barabbas? He was an insurrectionist. He was on trial in prison for sedition and treason against Rome. But more than that, he was what Josephus, the church historian, called a sicari. He used a knife, a long dagger called a sicca, and he would hide it under his cloak with all the other terrorists 
these are mean people, these are violent people. They were guerrilla warfare people. And they would come down out of the mountains into the crowded streets of Jerusalem and they would pull their dagger and slit the throats of their enemies. Was Barabbas a bad man? Not for the Jews. He might even be a hero for many Jews. He came with strength and might and power. Was Jesus Barabbas a bad man? Well, yes, he was to the Romans. But let's consider now Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus, son of Joseph. He's the one that rode in with the palm branches being put at his feet and the cloaks being put at his feet with shouts of Hosanna in the highest. He allowed for that because he was the true Yeshua, the true Messiah, the true one come to save his people. But what he was not that day was the mighty political warrior that the people had wished for. He was not coming with might and worldly power. Jesus consistently resisted what Martin Luther would call right-handed power. Luther said that this resistance started on Christmas Day as Jesus was born humbly in a feeding trough, in a stable, in a poor and lowly backwater corner of the world called Bethlehem. It was God's left-handed power that was on display when he sent his only begotten son to the end that all that believe should not perish but have everlasting life. It was God's left-handed power that will cause Jesus this Thursday night on Monday Thursday to take the lowly form of a servant and kneel at the feet of his disciples and wash their grimy feet and to tell them on that night, this is my kingdom, this is my way. Not right-handed power, but left-handed power. He will tell them on Thursday night, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Left-handed power is what Luther called that. Love one another in the way that I've loved you. Become humble in the way that I've become humble Love with left-handed power. But none of the disciples truly understood this, not until the day of Pentecost, not until all truth would be revealed to them on the day of Pentecost. Oh, but they understood right-handed power. They understood right-handed power. Remember those sons of Zebedee that we read about this morning, James and John? Remember them in Matthew chapter 20. They're bucking for position, for power and prominence in the kingdom. And in fact, Matthew says that it was the mama of James and John, Mrs. Zebedee, that went to bat for them before Jesus. She said there, let my two sons sit, one at your right and one at your left, when you are king and you have a kingdom. I mean, can you blame her? What Jewish mama wouldn't want her sons to share in the power and the celebrity and the prominence of King Jesus? Luther explains right-handed power in this way. It's power of numbers, of size, of military might, of notoriety. It's power of hierarchy where you rise up and you push others down. It's power of force, of money, of glamour, of success. But it was left-handed power that rode humbly on the coal, colt, the foal of a donkey, into Jerusalem. Not on a war horse, and not a horse-drawn chariot for battle. It was Jesus come with left-handed power. Do you see why they chose Barabbas over Jesus now? Jesus, Barabbas, 
that salvation we can understand. He had bloodthirst. He got things done. He represented somebody that we could get behind. I mean, we can trust a strong man who comes to battle with his long dagger under his cloak. But this other Jesus, bar Joseph, don't know about him. Jesus Barabbas was the epitome of right-handed power. And we shouted all the more, what shall we do with Jesus, son of Joseph? Crucify him. What shall we do with Jesus Barabbas and his method of salvation? Give us Barabbas. Release him. My song is love unknown. They did not understand. And that's true for all of his disciples, right? I mean, Jesus resisted that right-handed power that they longed for. We just read from Matthew 26. Do you not think that I could appeal to my Father and he would send down 12 legions of angels? See what Jesus is saying? Do you not think I have all the right-handed power in the world? And yet I resist it. I refuse to use it. Left-handed power is about love and sacrifice, commitment, humility. We shouldn't be too harsh on those disciples, though. It's our very nature. We understand right-handed power. The two Judases in our story, they understood it. In fact, Judas Iscariot that we just read about, he turned Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. Many scholars will tell you that what he was trying to do is to start the resistance, to start the war against Rome. And remember when he found out that Jesus wasn't about right-handed power, that Jesus was about love and left-handed power, that he tried to give those 30 pieces back because it was blood money, and he felt guilty, and he hanged himself. But there was another Judas, too, Judas Thaddeus. Both of them will be at the table with Jesus on Monday, Thursday. Judas Thaddeus, earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, said, Jesus, when do you intend to show yourself to us and to the world? In other words, when are you going to bring that right-handed power that we expect in the Messiah? Did you know that both these Judases were named for Judas Maccabeus, who was in the second century, and he won the freedom of the Jews against the Seleucid armies? He was a mighty warrior. That's what Hanukkah is all about. And both Judas Maccabeus and Judas Iscariot and Judas Thaddeus would have had that dagger underneath the cloak. Violent men, they understood right-handed power. And there was Peter. Remember, what was the first thing Peter does on Monday, Thursday night at the arrest? He draws his sword and cuts off Malchus' ear. Let's go. Let's roll, Jesus. It's time for the kingdom, the right-handed power of the kingdom. Can you blame them for not understanding who Jesus was? Give us Barabbas. We can understand that. My song is love unknown. Isn't that why Jesus on Good Friday looked at the, uh, at the crowd during the crucifixion and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Which Jesus will you choose, is what Pilate was asking. Which way of salvation will you trust? The way of power, of right-handed power and might, or the way of left-handed power and love? In this coronavirus time, uh, we need to apply that because I too often want to do the right-handed thing, the wisdom of man. You know, I'm like Donald Trump. When are you going to come in and save us? When is the pharmaceutical industry going to save us? 
When is some brilliant scientist going to come up with some vaccine to save us? When will this herd immunity that we've been talking about finally set in to save us? When will the summer heat and humility kill this virus and defeat our mortal enemy? We turn to right-handed power, human wisdom, when what we ought to be turning to is the wisdom of God. There is no doubt God wants us to use earthly means as much as we can to save us, but ultimately, he is our salvation. Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is made ready for the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some will trust in chariots and horses, that's right-handed power, comma, but we trust in the name of the Lord. He brought left-handed power 2,000 years ago. Our bishop said to us in a meeting this week, he said, our nation is languishing due to a lack of prayer. Is there any greater weapon of war than prayer? Is there any greater left-handed power than the God we trust in prayer? In this time, draw near to Jesus. It may seem foolish that prayer would be our greatest weapon, but Paul reminds us, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The bishop also reminded us that the place of crucifixion where Jesus died was also a garden. Jesus was laid to rest in a tomb in the midst of a garden, a garden of hope, our bishop says. So remember, whatever we're going through, Solitary confinement, loneliness, the coronavirus, everything that we're going through. Remember in that garden, in that tomb, there was Jesus about to ra be raised from the dead in a garden of hope. So I'll end with that question. When life has stripped you bare and you're looking for hope and salvation and deliverance, which Jesus will you choose? Jesus bar Abba, Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus bar Joseph? Jesus, the son of Joseph. Turn your cares and your worries over to Jesus, son of Joseph. God bless you all. Let us stand and affirm our faith through the ancient Nicene Creed.